strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Happy Monday. A uh, topic we haven't talked a, mo- a whole lot about, but it's something that's been uh, been kind of simmering for a long time. Uh, recruitment is down in the United States military. They are not me- meeting recruiting goals. Retention is not as easy either. And then a very st- sad statistic is that there is a new study out that says veteran suicide rates may be much higher than what the VA is releasing. I want you to hear a little bit of a Fox News report on this, on veteran suicide rates. According to the Veterans Administration, every single day, 17 members of the nation's active duty armed forces and veterans take their own lives. And according to new research from America's Warrior Partnership, even those numbers are staggeringly low. Um. They search data from eight states, Alabama, Florida, Maine, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Montana, and Oregon, and reviewed the data on veteran suicide. So I want to talk about two different things. Um, first, let's talk about the uh, decline in U.S. military. All-volunteer force puts America in danger is another headline. Um, there is a misconception that uh, we have done our jobs as citizens in taking care of veterans. Uh, And I want to give you a disclaimer. I know a lot of people that work for the VA here locally that are fantastic people. They love what they do. They're passionate about serving veterans. They want to care for veterans. And I'm certainly not saying anything I'm about to say to disparage any of them. The system itself has been broken for a long time. We found that out years ago. When the scandal came out where they were cooking the books to make it look like veterans were getting better care than they ever were. It was a time that I don't think I've ever been as angry. Um, and I, I'll tell a, a, a story about the late Senator John McCain. Um, when the story broke that the Phoenix VA had this scandal going on and cooking the books, and I don't want to go back into the details, but they were reporting that veterans were getting care much faster than they were ever getting care. And when the story broke, I reached out to congressional members across Arizona, all of our delegation, and I said, I want to do something about this. Within five minutes, I got a call from the chief of staff or from a staff member from Senator McCain's office that said the senator will clear his schedule to do anything you want. So within 10 minutes, we had a conversation about bringing light to this. And attention. And within an hour, we had scheduled a press conference and an event at the Burton Bar Library where they put out a statement on, on Senator McCain letterhead saying that I was putting on this event. And they took care of all of the details. We showed up that day, Senator McCain and I, and we stood on the stage. And uh, it was a small stage they set up in a room with hundreds of veterans in the room. And I started off, as we both stood on the stage, I started off by asking every veteran in the room, raise your hand if you've waited more than 30 days to see a doctor. And every hand went up. I said, keep your hands up. 60 days, 90 days, 180 days. And it wasn't until I got to one year that a significant number of hands went down. Um, Senator McCain had clenched teeth and a bright red face and was as angry as I've ever seen him. He had people in the back of the room that were there to help people that day immediately. And then it went on to try to fix the problem, along with, of all people, Bernie Sanders brokered a deal for the choice card for veterans and what the program has now turned into after the senator passed away. 
the reason why I'm telling you that story is this is how far back these issues with the VA go for me when we found out this was an issue. The Phoenix VA has made dramatic changes. If you talk to, to veterans that get care at the VA here in Phoenix or at any of the facilities here in the Valley, they will tell you that once you're in the system, it's phenomenal. The people care. They treat you well. They treat you with respect. They do a good job. It's getting in that's always been the problem. There was a time when veterans, and this is so sad, that were hurting and they were not getting the care they needed, that they were driving to the VA, to the parking lot of the VA, and they were committing suicide in the parking lot as a sign of protest for how badly their treatment had become, how hard it was to get into the system. So we started looking into what you know what is lacking and what's going on because the average american believes because this is one of the few things that is absolutely nonpartisan on both sides of the political aisle from one extreme to the other people largely admire the men and women that serve in our military and our veterans they may not like the orders they were given they may not what like what politicians and leadership order them to do but they respect the service of the men and women in uniform and those that have worn the uniform So we've always had the expectation that because we all agree on that, things are being handled very well when it comes to veteran care. And that absolutely has not been the truth. And it needs to be improved. I would tell you if I were running for office, if I were in office, one of the things that I would I would push for is that if you've served in this country and you are a veteran, you are an honorably discharged veteran of our military service or separated due to injury or whatever else, that you have the opportunity with a golden ticket as far as I'm concerned. You could present that insurance card to anybody out there on the planet and you get service knowing that the government's going to cover your medical expenses. That's the least we could do. That's just my opinion of how it should be. But now we're looking at a shrinking military for a number of reasons. It's economic. Uh, Right now, there are a lot of ways people can um, earn a good living, college money and other things, benefits outside of the military. But there's another piece of this, and it's it's is disturbing to me that we are seeing more and more veterans telling their children, don't enlist. Don't do it. And it's a shame. You know, um, I know a lot of police officers who are parents of police officers. And when their son or their daughter enters the law enforcement community, they're very, you know, they're nervous as a parent would be, but they're so proud that they have chosen to serve their community as an officer. Same thing happens in the fire department and they cross over sometimes as first responders. And it's always been, if you look at the legacy in families where, where generations of families serve in the military, and it's, it's, it's a point of honor in the family that my grandfather served, my great-grandfather served, and, and we're seeing less and less of that. What is it about military service that's changed so much? Uh, and it isn't as dramatic as, as I'm making it sound, but there is a number of people that would say, I would not recommend my child serve. As a matter of fact, I would try to talk my child out of military service. You know, it fluctuates between political parties sometimes where I wouldn't say have them do it under this president, whether it's a president like Trump or a president like Biden. But largely, it used to be uh, it has been classically a sense of honor. Um, we have a shrinking number and percentage in our society of people that serve in the military and understand what it is to be a veteran and what it is to serve the veteran community. And I think it's something we better look at very closely, very quickly, because it is going to become a national security risk.
You know, we do not have a draft anymore. You know, you have to sign up for it just in case, but we don't. We take an all-volunteer military. What do we do? What do we change to make it so that young men and women want to join the military? And then what do we do as voters who elect leaders? What do we do to ensure veterans that when you make a promise to us and you swear that oath to defend the Constitution against all enemies, domestic and uh, foreign and domestic, that we keep our promise to you that once you've served your duty as a as a as a member of the military and you've gone to veteran status, you're going to get the care you need and the support you need. So that we don't see the rate of suicide that we're seeing. We all should be concerned about this. We are failing the men and women that served us. And at some point, we've got to make a big change. We have to make a big change. Coming up in a moment, um, do Arizona voters support in-state tuition for the Dreamers? And we'll talk uh, more on uh, immigration coming up next. Arizona Votes, Election Day 2022, with Mike Broomhead. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Happy Monday. Um, there is an interesting AZ Central story said that two-thirds of Arizona voters support giving Dreamers in-state tuition, according to a poll. The polls were commissioned by Yes on 308 campaign, a coalition of 20 communi- uh, community and advocacy organizations spanning the p- political spectrum. If passed, Prop 308 would grant any student, regardless of status, the ability to pay in-state tuition if they graduated from an Arizona high school and have lived in the state for two years prior to that. Um you know, this is part of the bigger issue on immigration, and this is why I think this is a huge issue, um, is that we have created the next generation of dreamers. We have also created animosity toward immigrants in this country, not just illegal immigrants, but immigrants in general, because A, we've lumped everybody together as immigrants, and and B, we've gotten to a place now where people are saying enough is enough. But you know, all that being said, we are still America, and we are still Americans, and we still believe in doing the right thing. I will tell you that I, my heart goes out to the dreamers. Uh, I have no ill will toward dreamers or even their parents for that matter. They did the wrong thing, but we as a society allowed it to happen. That's the part of it where we have to take some responsibility. For decades, the American government turned a blind eye to illegal immigration. It was a nod and a wink. And then when the political tides turned, politicians began screaming and yelling about immigration reform and shutting down the border. And we have to acknowledge that the reason why families were able to come here and put down roots was because we allowed it to happen. And as Americans, what are we going to do about that? And what we have are the dreamers. We have children that were brought here that were raised on American soil, raised in American communities, educated in American schools that now want to go on with their lives and go to college and be parents and be contributors. And, you know, and so that's all true. But we also know that there are people that are hiding under some of our protections that shouldn't be here either. This is a two way street. And until we drop the emotion of the argument, we're never going to come to a solution. I have said I've been very vocal about being against in-state tuition for dreamers, and I'll explain why. Um, My disagreement is this. If the parents that were crossing the border illegally with these children years and years and years ago were told, you can come 
And you can educate your children here. Your children will be educated in our schools. You can come and work in America and start your life here even though you've come illegally. The only thing we say is when your children get to be college age, they are going to have to take out loans or they're going to have to get grants or they're going to have to get scholarships because they will not pay in-state tuition. We believe that that's reserved for the families that did it the right way and became citizens and their children were raised. So there's going to be some level of, of punishment for your behavior. And if you want to say, well, that's not punishing the parents, it's punishing the children, that's not necessarily true either. And so I, I, I can walk the line. I know people that have come to this country illegally that are better Americans than a lot of Americans that are here. We also know that there are people that have come into this country illegally that have no plans on following American laws. And if the bigger issue for me with all of this is the damage that's being done to the American society with this argument and this debate. We have an obligation when someone comes to this country. We take on an obligation to treat them according to our constitution. But there also has to be an obligation that's a two-way street. If you're going to come to this country illegally and make demands, the American people are going to push back. When you come here believing, when you admit I've come here illegally, but I think this administration is inviting me, you can't argue with the way you're treated. I'm not talking about being beaten. I mean when you're being bused to another city because you're part of a political movement in this country. And Martha's Vineyard turns around and puts people on buses too. They've been doing it from El Paso to New York forever. No one's complaining about El Paso. They are complaining about a Republican governor. This has become overtly political. But in the end, we are being completely overwhelmed at our southern border. With people, with drugs, and the way people are being treated at the border, this is the part of this that is so infuriating to me. When people go after a DeSantis or an Abbott or a Ducey, when you go after these governors for this horrible treatment, I just – I look and shake my head and I think, where have you been? Go to the border. Do what I did. Do what I did. I've been to the southern border in Arizona many times. I've been to the southern border in Texas back in 09 when children were coming over unaccompanied. I see how the cartels are treating people. I've got firsthand stories of, of women that were terrified of being sexually assaulted on the journey, people dying in the desert, people almost dying in the desert when they make the journey. Where is your outrage at that treatment that we are allowing this to happen, that we are allowing the drug cartels to feast? on the money that they are getting from these people and then treat them so inhumanely. That's where your anger should be, should be directed, at where they're crossing the border in the first place, how they're getting here. The idea of your political indignation because it's an airplane or a bus that goes from Texas or Arizona and it, or Florida to someplace like Martha's Vineyard is just a political stunt. It is a political stunt. I I've said that for a long time. It is a political stunt, but it's one that's starting to get people's attention. So now that everybody's talking about this, let's have a conversation about how we fix it. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is talk to Ron Wolfley about anything ever. But talking to Ron Wolfley about a big Cardinals win is going to be amazing. We're going to do that coming up in just a couple of moments. Broomhead talks Cardinals with color analyst and former Cards fullback Ron Wolfley. Oh, my digging the chili of what the Cardinals are mixing up. Bird's Eye View, brought to you by AZ Valley Windows, Arizona's most trusted window replacement company since 2004. All right. We call him the sledgehammer of sports broadcasting. He joins us right now, Ron Wolfley. Have you recovered yet, Ron? 
No, I have not. <laughs> Never seen anything like that before in my life. True. I have been around this game for a long, long time, man. Over three decades. And I can tell you right now, what I saw yesterday in the second half of that game was unthinkable. This is what's so frustrating as a Cardinals fan is that that's the Kyler Murray and the defensive intensity and the offensive resolve that we all see them capable of, but we don't see enough of. Yeah, no, you're you're right. And yet at the same time, I think Kyler Murray once again um, seized the crown, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Yeah, Uh, Metaphorically speaking, and became the franchise quarterback again. The Arizona Cardinals needed to win that game. In the second half, when you look at that game, again, it wasn't like he was getting a ton of help in the first half. The Cardinals looked flat, 20 to nothing, dead in the water, metaphorically speaking. They came out in the second half, and Kyler Murray refused refused to lose and gave everything that he had. And I think the guys around him rallied around him. And because of that, they ended up winning a game. This, this is the kind of win. This is the kind of game that can have carryover for the rest of the season, bro. And that, that 20 second, two point conversion where he scrambled and eventually ran it in. Amazing. Okay. Um, have you ever seen anything like that never. before in your life? I've never I've, seen. I've, I, I coached Pop Warner football and never saw that at the Pop Warner level. That to me, the, the two two point conversions to tie the game up. Of course, they had to get two two point conversions. The two of them that the the conversion where they went around and he, he ran eighty five yards to actually get it in. Break plane, 85 yards, next-gen stats as that's how long he ran. The over 20 seconds, to your point, that conversion was incredible. I've never seen a play like that before, but I also have to tell you, the only the only play better than that was the two-point throw <laughs> to A.J. Green. That, was the, that throw was on a rope, and it was a dime. It was the combination of his arm strength and his accuracy. And the fact that it came down to that A.J. Green, I love the fact A.J. Green, who had dropped a ball before that, D.B. also knocked the ball out of his hand after he had made the catch. The fact that he came back to A.J. Green and threw him the ball, through, i got to tell you right now, it's a still point moment in the Arizona Cardinals' early season that I think is going to have huge dividends as we move forward, because Kyler Murray once again took the crown, stuck his head, and said, boys, follow me. Yeah, when people questioned that they would sign him to that huge contract without ever really doing and showing that he was enough of that he he deserved it, yesterday answered all those questions that he's capable. I, like I said, Pop Warner football. I was Pop Warner teammates with Deion Sanders, and I watched him play high school football. And that's what Deion did to 12-year-olds in, in Pop Warner. But when, you're, when you, you play professional football, these are the world-class athletes of world-class athletes. And he ran circles around those guys. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Literally. Red circles around him. I know. But you know what, too? It's, it's, I'm so encouraged, bro. And I'm so encouraged because it wasn't just Kyler Murray. Right. 
It wasn't. It, it was the defense. Listen, I've said this the whole the whole season, leading up to the season, but for me, the strength was always going to be the offense for the Arizona Cardinals. That was indisputable. The strength of this team was always going to be the offense. I had very little expectation for the defense because there were so many young guys that they're going to need to come along. Now, Zayvon Collins, Isaiah Simmons, right, Marco Wilson, Byron Murphy, they needed these young guys to come around, come along and get better. So I knew there were going to be a work on, in progress on the defensive side of the ball, but man, offensively and defensively in the one doesn't win this game without the other. Right. It was a team win in the second half, and I think that fires me up almost more than anything else, that it was a combination of the defense doing what the defense had to do, only giving up three points in the second half, and the offense coming out, and Kyla Murray and the offense just playing lights out. And correct. Tell me if you think I'm wrong in this. Whether they would have lost that game in overtime or not, the fact that they made the comeback was huge, but Simmons grew into a veteran before our eyes in the second half of that game. Yeah, you know, it's amazing right there. I I thought Isaiah Simmons was the microcosm of this game. He was the microcosm of this game. Played only a couple of snaps in the first half. They had benched him. They sat him down because of the miscommunication that was going on the week before against the Chiefs with the green dot. They sat him down. He, He wasn't playing in the first half. Just a few snaps, and then all of a sudden in the second half, he started playing more, and then wouldn't you know it, he makes the play that changes the game. Brew, I want to tell you right now, this is I, I don't care if he plays linebacker. I don't care if you call him a safety. I don't care if he's out on the edge. I don't care if he's in the slot as a slot nickel corner. I don't care where you move him, what you call him. All I want to see Isaiah Simmons do is make plays that change games. And guess what he did? Yeah, he sure did. Changed the game. You know, uh, last question then is about the week coming up. Big division game at home coming up. But how important is it now for the Arizona Cardinals, not to prove to the fan base, but to prove to themselves to carry on what that second half was like and be that team going into a big game next week? Keep that emotion up and keep that focus up in the intensity. How important for the uh, mental aspect of the game for this team is it for them to do that this next week? Yeah, I think it's really, really important, bro. There's no doubt about that. You can't cut it or parse it any other way. But I will tell you this right now. It's about how you play. Okay, listen, there's, 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 there, there, there's no shame in going, aga- going out against the defending Super Bowl champion and somehow, some way, you lose the game because they've got good players over there as well. It's not like this is a must win, if that's what you're asking right now. they got to go out and worry about how they play, right. not what they're doing. They've got to worry about how they play and just focus on how they play. If you tell me they come out like they did in the second half against the Raiders and they play against the Rams like they did in the second half against the Raiders, now all of a sudden, man, they got a chance to win games this year and go to the playoffs if they play like that. And that's what I really care about. Play like that against the Rams and then let the chips fall. See what happens. The Rams are good, too. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that is exactly what they need to do. I'll give you an example. You look at what Miami was able to do against the Ravens. But the Ravens, both teams fought to the very end of that game. And you walk off the field not winning that game after you see what Tua did with six touchdown passes tying a Dolphins record. But you 
you got to walk off that field knowing we gave it everything we had. It's a, it's a, so it, yep. it's bad to lose, but you were never yep. out of it and you never quit. Yes, there's no doubt about it. And once again, that's what I love so much. What we saw, Kyler Murray rallied this team and brought them back in the second half, and in particular in the fourth quarter. I mean, bro, you've got to be kidding me! It was amazing. It was twenty-three to seven. He had eight minutes and ten seconds left on the clock. Uh, well, so next time we talk, we got to talk about your high five moment that made it all over Twitter yesterday. Okay, <laughs> I'll give you the story behind that story personally. Okay, okay. I-, I can't wait to hear it. It's good to talk to you, Wolf. I can't wait till next week. Okay, bro. All right, that's Ron Wolfley, Arizona Sports, uh, from the Wolf and Luke Show. In a moment, we talk about Phoenix officials and a possible new bond and tax in, in Phoenix. We'll talk about it in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Residents pushed for five ways the Phoenix should invest in the community. So there is a, the city of Phoenix is pushing for a half a billion dollars, a 500 million or half a billion dollar bond request next year. So people at a meeting are talking about how this money should be spent. Uh, parents, climate activists, firefighters, community leaders giving feedback. Um, so some people are saying they need to do something about air quality. There are others talking about what we should do um, with. We know that we are at a great disadvantage. We are at a great shortage of firefighters. I have chronicled very closely, and I and, and I, I do. I guess I owe an apology to the firefighters in Phoenix because I wasn't paying as close attention to the plight of the firefighters and the people that work for Phoenix Fire, whether they're paramedics or they're working on a truck as a firefighter or both. Um, I didn't pay as close attention to their needs. I was very – it was in my face about Phoenix PD. I have a lot of friends at Phoenix PD. But the Phoenix Fire Department has been at a great disadvantage for a while as well. Equipment shortages, personnel shortages, don't have enough fire stations. We haven't built them fast enough. Response times are extremely high, uh, which if you call and you need someone in a medical emergency or a fire, um, time matters. It as Seconds count. And so that's one of the, the needs – here are my issues with a little bit of this, and, and it's just more of the way business is done than uh, anything else. It is my opinion that if you want to raise taxes or you want these bond issues to be voted on by voters and you want these bonds implemented, um, what we should do if we are being truly responsible people is you pay for the priorities out of the budget. And then you ask the people of Phoenix if they want to if these approve these bonds for the things that are not necessities. There, I don't believe that we should have to have a bond issue put on a ballot for the people of Phoenix in order to get enough firefighters and enough firehouses. If we truly are a city that says public safety first, what should be the first thing that the Phoenix city of Phoenix funds fully? Should be public safety, right? Uh, that's that's what you do in your home. It's like saying I need to get a second job to pay my mortgage, but you've got cell phones and you know you you all the other stuff, all the extras you're paying for out of your salary. But now I can't pay my mortgage. Nobody can live that way. If you live that way, you end up bankrupt. So I agree with a lot of the things that are on this list, and people are saying we need to take care of these issues. But if they are that pressing 
of an issue. Why are they not paid for out of the general fund? And then if we're going to have a bond issue, let's have a bond issue for some of the other things that we want, whether it's to beautify the city, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. If we're going to plant trees, if we're going to buy art, if we're going to do those kinds of things to beautify our city, those should be the things that we talk about in a bond issue. We shouldn't have to raise taxes or or uh, you know pass bond issues to fund the fire department or the police department. There was a sales tax increase years and years ago that was on the ballot and ended up passing in Phoenix, and it was in order to, uh, to hire more cops and more firefighters. At that time, it wasn't difficulty in getting recruits in. It was having the money to pay enough people to do the job. And then I, I made the same argument then. Why aren't you fully funding those agencies out of the city budget and then come to the voters in Phoenix and say, will you pass this so that we have extra income so we can you know, put art on the freeways or whatever else? And I'm not saying any of them are bad, but you fund the priorities out of the budget, not out of a bond issue. That's the part of it that bothers me is the prioritization of things. And some people call it semantics, but it isn't. If, if you know, if you, if you live in the city of Phoenix and you hire people, we do by virtue of our vote, to manage our money for us. And then they're going out there and saying, well, we have done this and we've done this and we have done this. But now we don't have enough money for the fire department. Does that sound like they're prioritizing the dollars the right way? And the answer for most people is no. So I'm not taking them to task for what they want to do, but it's the order in which they're doing things. Let us look at a bond issue. Let us look at a half a billion dollars that you're going to raise over a certain amount of time and what you want to do with that money. And it's going to go towards the art museum or it's going to go toward this or it's going to. Okay, then let us look and see if we think that's valuable. But the idea that firefighters need to be hired out of this instead of and maybe I misunderstand the budget. If I misunderstand the budget, I would love to hear how. But this is where people have doubts about the government because if you vote no on this, if as a voter, I, and I'm a voter in Phoenix, if I vote no on this, then I'm accused of voting against firefighters. That's not true. I've had them on here talking about how their shortages are. That's where these issues get convoluted and overtly political, and I just think it's the wrong thing to do. Why is Phoenix inflation rate higher than New York City and San Francisco? It's what we're going to talk about in a few moments. Inflation here in the Valley is the highest in the country and it remains that way, along with other places that are growing very quickly. Is growth a good thing? We'll talk about that coming up in a moment.